If you look at all deaths from all cancers combined, and you add to that all deaths from chronic lung disease, cardiovascular disease still kills more people. One in every four deaths in the United States is from a cardiovascular cause. This is True to Your Heart, lessons on living a healthy, hearty life. Brought to you by Amarin. Welcome back to True to Your Heart, where we discuss new ways of looking at your cardiovascular health with leading health and wellness experts. I'm your host, Ron Jaworski. February is American Heart Month, and today's show is all about why it's so important to focus on heart health. My first guest on the show today is Dr. Brett Nolan of the Hartford Healthcare Medical Group. He specializes in non-invasive cardiology and is here today to discuss the importance of focusing on heart health and some good places to start. Dr. Nolan, great to have you on the show. I'm looking forward to having an awesome time with you. And, you know, it, it's kind of surprising to me with COVID taking so much of the media attention, you know, heart disease continues to be the leading cause of death for men, women, and people of most racial and ethnic groups in the United States. February is American Heart Month, where we focus on our national attention on heart disease and heart health. Why do we care so much about cardiovascular disease? Thanks, Ron, and uh, it's my great pleasure to be here. Cardiovascular disease, unfortunately, is a mammoth problem. If you look in the United States per year, more than 600,000 people die of cardiovascular disease, mostly heart attacks and strokes. And if you look at all deaths from all cancers combined, and you add to that all deaths from chronic lung disease, cardiovascular disease still kills more people. One in every four deaths in the United States is from a cardiovascular cause. There's a death every 36 seconds from a cardiovascular cause. That's another way of putting it. I mean, all of that's very sobering. And, you know, if you look at the economic impact, it's, it's huge. There are estimates maybe $400 billion per year in terms of treating these people in hospitalization and medication procedures, lost productivity, and then, of course, the massive social impact of this disease on families, etc. And And it is easy to lose sight of this when we have things like COVID going on and cancers and other things grabbing people's attention. But this really is the 800-pound gorilla in the room, frankly. You know, when we talk about heart health, it's a daunting challenge. It's huge. What's a good indicator for people to set their focus on first? What should they think about first when they talk about managing their heart health? So this is a great question and a, a favorite topic of mine, because usually people will approach their risk and understanding their risk by looking at numbers like blood pressure and cholesterol. And these things are potentially important, but what is a much more valuable way of approaching risk is to establish whether you have buildup in your arteries or not, plaque. And if you test for that first, that is a very good framework to contextualize everything else that you might you know, measure or try and understand. For example, when someone has had a heart attack or a stroke or an intervention on their legs, those people have plaque and we understand that they are high risk. 
And then we should respond to that risk by treating those people aggressively with all of the tools that we have to lower risk. But if you've not had an event, it's often hard to understand what your risk is accurately. The very best tool that we have to understand that is something called the coronary calcium scan. And this is a tool I use a lot and it's very underused. You know, in, in a brief nutshell, it is a, it's a low energy CAT scan of the chest, more like a mammogram than a CT scan actually. And it's very quick and you're not getting any injections of anything. And that is showing calcium in the arteries of your heart if you have it, and that is plaque. And that is an excellent first start because if you have plaque, there is something going on. And we can do a lot of things with that information, like understand how do you compare to your peers? Are you very far ahead of the pack or kind of the same, etc.? We can be much more accurate about calculating your tenure risk of having a heart attack or a stroke. And then you can put all those other things that we typically use in that context. And to be clear, it actually works in both directions. For example, if you do something like a coronary calcium scan and you have no plaque, you can actually be very reassured that you are low risk. And maybe that person shouldn't be on medication or they should be demedicated. But of course, if you find plaque and it's premature and there's a lot of it, that starts raising the stakes for adding, for example, medications onto lifestyle changes. So a very helpful test. Where do you get the scan for plaque? It's actually very low tech scanning. It's not something that's very fancy or not readily available. A lot of Outpatient radiology departments and hospital radiology departments can do this without too much bother. One of the very small limitations is insurance coverage. Uh, sometimes it's not great, but the typical cost for the scan will be somewhere in the region of $100. That's sort of the average in my area, and, and that's a very common average. And you know, in order to understand your risk of the most common thing that may kill you or hurt you, this is money well spent, I think. I often hear about cardiovascular disease that it's it's not one and done. Why shouldn't folks let their guards down after a cardiovascular event? Great question. When you have had a cardiovascular event, like a heart attack or stroke, you have declared yourself to be high risk, as we were talking before about establishing risk. So you are a high risk person. And unfortunately, the risk of recurrent events is very significant. So every year in the United States, there are roughly... 800,000 people who suffer from heart attacks, and about 330,000 of those are recurrent heart attacks, almost half. So those people have had a prior event and one happens again. About 800,000 people suffer from ischemic strokes every year in the United States. About a quarter of those are recurrent. So the point being, if you have a heart attack and you have these sometimes life-saving procedures like a stent or bypass surgery, what have you, that's very helpful in the short term. But ultimately, that's a Band-Aid. And what really makes a difference to your long-term risk is engaging in lifestyle changes and engaging in appropriate medications. So, so you absolutely, that's the time to become and maintain aggressive treatment. You know, not you're done. Doc, how can you be aware of, of your own susceptibility if you had you know, pre-existing conditions and, and you're concerned about that, how do you become more aware of it? Again, this boils back down to looking for plaque as your first step. That really remains the best step. So if you think about what a calcium scan is capturing, it's all of your potential risks up until the day that you had that scan. 
be it your genetics, your family history, your exercise history throughout your life, your dietary history, smoking for five years in college, or whatever it might be, all of those things add up. And then when you do the scan, that is the definitive answer as to whether that has translated into a problem or not. And then that makes it crystal clear. Now, how about blood pressure? I'm a guy that, you know, I take my blood pressure every day. I've got the monitor at the house. I kind of keep an eye on things. Somewhere along the way, someone told me to take your blood pressure regularly, so I, I paid attention, and I do, and I've kept my blood pressure under control. So how often should I be testing my blood pressure? How often should I, other people be taking their blood pressure, and what does it indicate? So it's one of the major risk factors for cardiovascular disease, particularly stroke. It is something that we measure in the office, but sometimes people in the office are a little nervous and the blood pressure is falsely high. And of course, we don't get to see people in the office all the time. And so we're only getting a little snapshot out of their their general life. Getting a cuff and having it at home and, and getting used to measuring your blood pressure, even if you do it once per week, is extremely valuable information. Blood pressure, not for nothing, is called the silent killer because there is very seldom symptoms that will alert you to the fact that your blood pressure is high until, unfortunately, some people have an event like, like a stroke. And so if you're sitting and measuring your blood pressure at home and you're consistently seeing blood pressures above 130 over 80, that's sort of the, the contemporary numbers to consider treatment, then you should take that to your doctor and say, hey, I think there's a problem here. Doctor, we hear so much about cholesterol levels good HDL, bad HDL. What's your recommendation on dealing with cholesterol? Again, you should put your cholesterol in the context of your plaque or not. So if you do not have plaque, you probably should be a little bit less concerned about cholesterol numbers as a broad principle. If you have plaque, cholesterol and cholesterol lowering now becomes one of the most important interventions to lower risk. And you know, the most common number that we look at is LDL cholesterol, the so-called bad cholesterol. And we want that number actually to be as low as we can get it without causing side effects from the medications. On the flip side, HDL is the so-called good cholesterol. And again, the higher that number, the better. Now, that number is not adjusted, that being the HDL, that's not adjusted by medications. That's really mostly addressed by lifestyle factors. Regular exercise, not overeating you know, refined carbohydrates or sugars, making sure you're eating healthy fats, that sort of thing. But those numbers become very important to look at if you have plaque. And how do you control that? One big misunderstanding is the lowering of cholesterol with diet. Unfortunately, the data, good quality data showing that cholesterol lowering with diet helps is really not good. What we have excellent repetitive data for is that cholesterol lowering with medication makes a very big difference. That's not to say that diet is not important. Diet is massively important. But using cholesterol as the metric of whether you're doing well in your diet is probably the misunderstanding. And so really, if you need to lower your cholesterol because you have plaque, that's the job of medication. You've done extensive research on, you know, the effects of, of food on cardiovascular health. And is that kind of what your studies have found? And and which foods are truly beneficial? And you can kind of claim that helps you. I think that the best simple rule in applying a healthy diet is to try and eat foods that are as unmodified as possible and as close as they come from their natural state as possible. 
people have eaten very different kinds of foods for thousands of years and have done very well. Uh, and I think we started running into trouble when we started manufacturing and processing and combining and preserving and doing all these unnatural things to our food. And, and that has led us to problems. So I think that is a good broad rule. I think the, the data for low-fat diets is not great. And what one has to acknowledge is that we eat in a matrix. And what that means is you have to eat. And so if you eat less of one thing, you eat more of something else or vice versa. And what seems to be a much bigger problem in this day and age is people overeating sugars and overeating refined carbohydrates and all of the problems that come with that, like prediabetes and diabetes and this sort of thing. Uh, so that's what I say. I think a broad principle is if, if you leave food as it comes naturally and try and prepare most or all of your own food, you probably can't go too far wrong. Most people think it's, you know, you got to stop smoking. You can't smoke yet. Some people seem to continue to smoke. What do you recommend to people how to quit smoking and the benefits of quitting? The benefits are massive. The benefits happen very quickly and they are cumulative. And there is no question that smoking is awful for so many factors of your health, including cardiovascular health. It's so important to not smoke at all if you have cardiovascular disease or risk factors, or frankly, in general. You know, if you look at successful strategies in big populations, they've done this in the United Kingdom. Overall, the most successful strategy for people has been picking a quit date and quitting cold turkey and then just white knuckling it. Now, now that's much easier said than done. And thankfully, I've never been a smoker. So I, I acknowledge this is a very difficult thing for people to tackle. Chemically, it's very, very difficult. And there are medications and things to help. But what is also very difficult to deal with is the consequences of smoking. And, you know, hopefully people sort of balance those two things out when they, when they are having a tough time coming off of cigarettes. All right, Dr. Lone, this one's a personal one for me, speaking of smoking. I, I've never smoked cigarettes in my life. But every once in a while, I'll be out on the golf course and uh, grab a cigar and just kind of puff it, you know, as I'm playing golf. Is that detrimental or is it okay? <laughs> this is personal now (laughs) so so the that is less harmful probably than cigarettes but but what what you're setting yourself up for is oropharyngeal cancer just by the way (laughs) thanks doc (laughs) Uh, well like i said that that one was personal to me i had to figure it out if i'm okay just puff on a cigar every now and then (laughs) fair enough well, doctor, thank you so much for, for joining us here. You, you've been absolutely enlightening and fantastic, and we appreciate taking time uh, to join us. Thank you so much. Hey, Ron, thank you so much. This was my pleasure. Uh, thanks for having fun with me there. <laughs> <laughs> joining me now is Andrea Baer, Executive Director at the Mended Hearts Organization. She's going to tell us about some of the advancements in heart health, why maintaining heart health is a lifestyle, and some of the work being done at the Mended Hearts organization. Welcome, Andrea. Great to have you on the show. Thank you. So great to be here. Well, keep up the fantastic work. And uh, Mended Hearts understands that heart health is with all of us. It's very important to every one of us and focus on living life with heart disease and supporting patients. So, you know, it's peer-to-peer support, and it is so vital in a recovery, and, and why is it so so vital, the peer-to-peer that we have to work with? 
Yeah, I think one of the really important things is that you're with people that understand you and understand the journey that you're on. And nobody can understand that better than somebody who's been there. And so when you connect with others who have walked the journey and are, are still walking it today, that connection is so vital to emotional health. How many people are involved with the Mended Hearts organization? We have 75,000 members. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We have 300 chapters and groups across the country and local communities serving hospitals and supporting patients. And so it's a huge organization full of heart patients and caregivers. So how does the peer-to-peer support group work? It works a lot of ways, but the most, I think, important is that we connect with the patient pre-surgery or post-surgery, typically at a hospital where the patient is really scared and not understanding what's happening. We have peer supporters who are accredited that come into the hospital and sit by bedside and, and answer those questions, you know, like, how am I going to feel? What, you know, all of those emotional things that you are wondering in your head, you have somebody there to talk to about it. It's pretty amazing because I, I was very unfamiliar with Mended Hearts and the work being done. And I think it's a great opportunity to get, get the work of Mended Hearts out there on this podcast. And hopefully, uh, you know, those numbers are absolutely terrific that you're doing right now. Maybe you don't need any more uh, marketing promotion, but it's nice to know that there is a great group out there like Mended Hearts for those people that need some help and some just someone to talk to. I would imagine the fact that they're dealing with someone that's facing the same challenges they've dealt with has to be very gratifying to a patient. Absolutely. And it's it's gratifying not only to the patient, but to the supporter, to our accredited visitors who go into these hospitals and connect with other patients. You know, giving back and volunteering is actually good for your heart. So we can uh, work on heart health, even post procedures. You know, th- that also extends to uh, congenital heart disease as well. And You know, we got a great listening audience, and they may not know about congenital heart disease. What might the folks listening find out through what you're going to have to say? Well, congenital heart disease is the number one birth defect. It affects one in every 100, 110 births each year, which is 40,000 babies. And uh, my son was born with a congenital heart defect and had open heart surgery when he was 11 weeks old. And Again, it's so scary and, you know, you really just need somebody to connect with you and know how you feel and can uh, be on that journey with you. And that's where Mended Hearts came into play in my life. I'm sure you'll agree that uh, heart disease is not a one and done phenomenon. It's something we have to always be concerned about. What is the persistent cardiovascular risk and why shouldn't people let their guard down? It seems, yeah, they figure they've had a cardiovascular event and they're done. But it's not a one and done, is it? It is definitely not a one and done. And actually, there are different risk factors that come along with having a different cardiovascular event. So a heart attack, one heart attack or one stroke doesn't mean that you won't ever have that experience again. So it's really important for you to to pay attention to your body and to those physical elements and lowering risk. But not only that, the emotional well-being with cardiovascular disease goes hand in hand. Almost 60 years ago, back in 1964, President Lyndon Johnson proclaimed February as American Heart Month. And certainly over that period of time, we've made incredible strides in awareness, pretty much on a national level, a global level, in that almost 60 years. How has our understanding of heart health and all our treatments 
involving heart disease, how has it evolved since 1964? It's amazing what has happened since 1964. We have medications and medical devices and new recovery protocols that I weren't even thought of back then. And the annual deaths of cardiovascular disease and stroke have fallen dramatically, but it's still the number one killer in the United States and worldwide, um, men, women, and congenital heart defects is the number one birth defect. So we still have a way to go. And partly because, you know, Americans, we really aren't doing a very good job at controlling our risk factors, to be honest. It's an interesting statistic you know, and almost amazing too when you say the number one killer in the United States. You know, we're, we're, for the last couple of years, it's all we've been talking about is COVID and COVID, and it's kind of garnered the headlines. And, and yeah, not that it's not important. There are a lot of things that are important, but it, it, it's still, when you said that, it's still number one. The heart disease is still the number one killer of men, women, African-Americans, Asian, pretty much every social demographic you can, you can find. So we are making strides. Is that, is that your message? We are making strides? I think that the medical technology is making strides. We are doing better with, you know, American, 15% of Americans still smoke, but that's down from like 42% in 1964. So wow, huge improvement, but we still have a way to go on that. But, you know, one in three adults don't even engage in physical activity. That's an issue. Americans with high blood pressure, the percentage of them have, has increased actually from 29% in 1964 to 33% today. Whenever I get some people on the show, I, I, I do talk about my blood pressure, you know, <laughs> and I, I kind of know what it's supposed to be. I have a, uh, you know, the monitor that I, I, I take my blood pressure every single day, and it's so far been, been very, very good. But these are the things that, you know, I, I like to talk about, I'm sure you like to talk about, and make people more aware of what you have to do to prevent heart attacks. Is that what you're trying to do when you talk about all the things, the great things you're doing right now? Yeah, we do. We spend a lot of time on education. And a lot of that education is how do we prevent another event? How do we how do we get your heart healthy so you don't ever have to go through another heart attack or a stroke? Or if you've not had one, let's not have you join our club. I think of uh, technology nowadays, you know, we've got smartphones and all kinds of apps and telemonitoring and, you know, what are, what are some ways that all the modern technology can bear fruit to those people that, you know, have heart issues and heart problems and heart challenges? Yeah, I think that, you know, it, it's been fantastic, all the technology and all of the telemonitoring. We all have a smartwatch now, I think, and, uh, if you have a Fitbit or a Garmin and it's telling you all about everything. But the information is great to gather and give to your doctor. I mean, it, can wa- it helps doctors look at your treatment or your uh, symptoms and treat them before it gets too bad sometimes. So they can play a big role in your health, but you still have to be responsible for your health. You can't rely on your technology to do it for you. Technology basically gives you results, but uh, if you take care of yourself before the technology comes into play, you have a better chance for a positive result. Diet, food, nutrition, uh, all those things are, are something you deal with on a daily basis. Yeah, and um, you know, stress, anxiety, I think probably most of Americans have that these days, it seems. No, I don't have any of that. <laughs> no, me neither. <laughs> what are we thinking? You know, it, it, it's a catch-22 because 
when you experience a heart event, it seems to have a lot of mental health issues that go along with it, like stress and anxiety and depression. But stress, anxiety, and depression can have ill effects on your heart. And so taking care of your emotional and mental health is also a really important piece of heart health. Why is the the personal interaction so, so important? You know, you learn ways to cope. I always like to use the analogy that I know what I'm supposed to eat. I know that fast food is not healthy, but as a working mom of three kids, fast food looks pretty good, right? When we're trying to get to soccer practice after work. And so having those peers around you to give you that real world support and be like, hey, let's think of other ways that we can do this. That's so vital. And I think the second part of it is that you know you're not alone. You know that there are other people that have done this and and succeeded and are living great, healthy lives despite their heart disease. And I think that that's one of the biggest pieces of that emotional support that you get from Mended Hearts. Andrea, one of the favorite uh, parts of me doing this show is I get to do the Mythbusters section. And we put you on the spot with a Mythbuster. The myth number one. Cancer is the leading cause of death among women. I think that we debunked that already, maybe. Yes, you did. (laughs) It is heart disease. That is busted now, right? (laughs) So that is myth number one has been busted. Myth number two, only older women need to worry about heart disease. That is also false. Oh, you're busting them all today. (laughs) Yeah, that is false. (laughs) (laughs) Two myths that are busted. Would all women be concerned about heart disease? Yeah, I think that knowing your family history from the very beginning is vitally important. But all women, regardless of your age, there are people when heart failure at 25 years old or your cholesterol is high and you didn't know it because you didn't get it checked. So I think women of all ages should be really concerned about their heart health. When I get a number of, of doctors on the show, they talk about the cholesterol quite a bit, but they they also talk about the right cholesterol. You know, cholesterol number is a number, but you got to have the good cholesterol and the bad cholesterol, and you have to know the difference. So is that something you tell your patients all the time and the people that you're dealing with uh, at Mended Heart? Yeah, and it's true what you put into your body. There is good fats and there are bad fats, and um, learning to cook with Good fats is uh, better for your heart, and the cholesterol numbers can go down. Well, Andrew, we we can't thank you enough for taking time to join us here today, and and the special work that you're doing. Uh, hopefully, will make more people aware of how important it is to have those person to person relationships as people can go through some challenging times. So, thank you very much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much to Dr. Brett Nolan and Dr. Andrea Bear for being on the show today. They were fantastic and helped us celebrate American Heart Month and those who have taken it upon themselves to stay heart healthy. Please remember to rate the show, leave a review, and subscribe. For more information on how you can be true to your heart, visit www.trutoyourheart.com. I'm Ron Jaworski, and this has been True to Your Heart, presented by Amerind.